something we all hear. All people go to a better uh, place. And as a pastor, I've sat in funeral after funeral after funeral, and, you know, I, more funerals than I could count. And it's something that we always hear. There's never been a funeral that I've sat in where the person isn't going to heaven. You know what I mean? It's always, it's the, no matter who they are, no matter what they did, no matter what they believed, um, when you're at a funeral, it's, they're always at a better place. Uh, you haven't sat in a funeral um, where they're like, you know, Tom, man, I love Tom. Tom was awesome. He was such a good guy. You know, he was fun to be around. <laughs> Tom's definitely in hell, right? You don't hear that at a funeral, right? That doesn't, nobody does that. And that'd be terribly awkward. Um, but, uh, but there's like unwritten rules in our society or some cultural norms that ignore the reality of the type of life that we may experience after death. And that's why we hear things like, you know, oh, heaven just gained another angel. Or he's looking down on me or she's, you know, she, she's still with me, helping me out. Or, or he or she's in a better place. The stuff that we hear all the time. And, uh, and it really makes us feel good, right? Like it appeals to us emotionally, especially when we're at a time of loss. We're, we're, we're already emotional. It makes us feel good. But the honest question, like if we're searching for truth and us, we as Christians, we should be looking for, for truth, not just what makes us feel good. But uh, if we're honestly searching for truth, the question that we should be asking is, is it true? Is it true? Do all people go to a better place? Because at all the funerals I've been to, everybody's in a better place. Now, this is what we know. From the Bible, and I don't know, you guys know what I'm going to say, <laughs> but uh, from the Bible, we know that heaven and hell are both real. They're both, um, they're both very real. We see this all over. We see this in the Old Testament, all throughout the Old Testament. Every New Testament author that I can think of uh, talks about either heaven or hell. Jesus talked about heaven and hell. Actually, Jesus talked more about hell than he did about heaven. And uh, the Bible describes heaven as a place where there's, where there's life, there's no crying, there's no pain. It's a place where we get to like almost bask in God's glory, where we just stand there for, e not just stand there for eternity, that would be super boring, but we're just there for eternity, and we're just in awe of the glory and the power of, of God. We're constantly growing with God. We're constantly learning more about God. But on the flip side, the Bible also talks about a place called hell. It describes it as a place of death, a lake of fire, a place of torment, a, a place that's never ending. Now, if you're like me, okay, we love the image of heaven where it's like, dude, this is going to be awesome. That's awesome. You know, we're, we're all about heaven. That's why at funerals, that's why we're always talking about heaven. None of us, I would assume, none of us are a fan of hell. In fact, when we talk about hell or think about hell, maybe a lot of us, it kind of makes us squirm a little, like, I don't really want to hear about this, or, or I don't really want to talk about this. But the Bible says both exist, God says both exist, and both are very, very real. And Jesus, he taught us this in really a clear way in Luke chapter 13. And the, what's going on uh, with Jesus at this point in his, in his ministry is he's actually making his way to Jerusalem. He's traveling uh, to Jerusalem. He's been traveling since Luke chapter 9, so he's been doing this for a while. Uh, how many of you guys like traveling? Uh, well, let me, actually, let me, how many of you guys like traveling? Not necessarily for vacation, but just travel. I mean, vacation is obviously part of it, but there's other reasons why we travel. But how many of you guys just like traveling in general? You get out, doing something different, okay? So there's, there's a lot of us. I know for some of you, I know how you travel because, because I've been this way before where it's like, uh, you know, it's just like, when you're traveling, it's not about the traveling part. It's just getting to the destination. Anybody like that? Or it's like, just get me past this, this driving in the car thing. I just want to get there and, and, you know, move on with my life. Um, 
for, for a lot of you, I guess, I know how it is. It's like everything's timed. Like you make a stop and you look at the clock and then you look at the clock when you get back in because you're like, how long did that take off my, my time? Uh, when I was in college, I used to do this. I'd drive down to, to uh, Virginia where school was for me. And, uh, you know, every time I'd do that drive, it was one stop and I only had to stop because I had to get gas. One stop and it was like stop, bathroom, food, and, and I'm back on the road 10 minutes. I'm up past 10 minutes and I'm, and I'm a loser. You know what I mean? Um, and, uh, and it was always trying to break the record. How fast? Because I got things to do. I don't want to be in the car. To be in the car is boring. I got things to do. And, uh, and I know a lot of you guys are that way. In fact, this kind of caused a little friction in my marriage the first few years with Kate because she's not like that. You know, she would say, Zach, we got to stop. I got to go to the bathroom. I'm like, we got half a tank. We got like 200 more miles to go. You got to hold it. You know, um, that's just how I, that's just what I, how, how I was. But, uh, but I remember one time taking a trip with Kate's family, and Kate's family was the exact opposite. Her dad was the exact opposite. Um, he was a, you know, take your time and enjoy the travel. It's not me. I was like, take your time. It didn't exist, you know, in my vocabulary when I'm traveling. And so I remember going, we went from Chicago to Virginia, and I forget even what, why we were doing this. And uh, it was like every rest stop. Sometimes it wouldn't, like, no one would go to the bathroom or get food or, or get gas or anything. It was just like just to stretch our legs. And I'm like, why are we just stopped 20 miles ago? What's going on here? It's taking forever. It was driving, and it drove me crazy. But that is kind of how Jesus is traveling at this point, okay? The Bible tells us he's, he's traveling and he's stopping from village to village. He's checking things out. He's, he's teaching people. He's trying to kind of teach as many people as he makes his way to Jerusalem, where eventually he's going to be put to death. Actually, I think Kate's dad rubbed off on me a little bit. Because now I'm kind of like that. And I don't stop just to stop, but now, like, when we, when we drive, which drives Kate nuts, she can't win either way. I feel bad for her. But, uh, but now I, like, take the long way. Like, if we're going to Chicago, we're going to go to Chicago in a couple weeks, and I'll take Route 6 instead of the interstate. I don't know why. I just like it better. Go through little small towns. That's how Jesus did it. So you can't argue with me, right? It's an hour and a half, maybe longer, but it's more interesting to me than just the boring, the boring interstate, and I don't have to pay the tax, which I hate, but uh, enough about that. But that's how Jesus is doing it, right? He, he's going slow. He's, he's stopping from town to town to town, and, uh, and, he, and he's stopping. He's teaching with people. He's not in a hurry to get to his destination. And while he's on the road, at least this is how I picture it. I guess the Bible doesn't necessarily tell us. Maybe it was when he was in town. Maybe he was on his way to a town, but probably on his way because the Bible does tell us he's traveling. Um, while Jesus is, is, is traveling, Somebody, he has this like little group of people that are like following him around. People would like jump in and say, hey, I'm going to hang out with Jesus as we walk to the next town. And then they would be out. And people just wanted to see who this Jesus guy was. They wanted to hear what he was going to say and what he was going to see, what he was going to do next. And so one person, we don't know who, he, uh, he, he or she, we know a bunch of women follow Jesus. So it could have been a, a lady. Uh, they ask a question. And it's a really good question from my point of view. It's a question that I could see myself asking Jesus in a roundabout way. And it goes like this in Luke chapter 13. It says, he went through one town and village after another. Again, he's, he's making his way slowly to Jerusalem. He's teaching and, uh, and making his way to Jerusalem. And someone says, Lord, someone asked him, are only a few people going to be saved? It's an interesting question. It's a question I can see myself asking. He's like, so, you know, he's walking along with Jesus. Hey, you know, this is, this is cool. I'm with Jesus, right, for the next hour or so. And, and he's like, so, is there only going to be, you know, you keep talking about heaven and hell. Is there only going to be like a few of us? 
Like, is it just, just a few of us who are going to be saved? Maybe he looks at the group that's with him. He's like, is it just like, I don't know, there's like 30 people here. Is it just like us, like, like the crew who are going to be saved? And really, his main focus of the question is, how many? How many? How many people are going to be saved? Or how many people are going to heaven? Is it a few? Is it many? Is it a lot? Is it, is it just us here? Now, check out Jesus' response in the next verse. He says, he said to them, he says, make every effort, okay, that's key. Actually, first, he said to them, all right? So he is talking to this guy, this, this person, man or lady, uh, she, he or she asks a question to Jesus, but Jesus doesn't give the response to that person. He looks at everybody, okay? He looks at the whole group, and he says, he said to them, make every effort to do what? To enter through the narrow door. Because I tell you that many will try to enter and won't be able. Once the homeowner, he gets up and he shuts the door. So then you will stand outside and knock on the door saying, Lord, open up for us. And he will answer you, I don't know you or where you're from. Notice Jesus doesn't answer their question. Did you notice that? Jesus doesn't say, oh man, not many. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, oh, you don't want the number? Oh, here's the number because I'm God and I know the number. Here's the exact number that get into heaven. He He doesn't do this. He says, hey, you know what you guys need to worry about, all of you? He says, you need to make every effort, meaning do every, do whatever you gotta do to be one. And he gives an illustration. He's like, it's kinda like a house, right? You got a got a front door, it's a narrow door. So many people are going to try to enter this house, try to enter a God's house in a sense. But, uh, but the owner of the house, God, is going to say no to people. Okay, there's going to be a lot of people, he uses the word many, that, uh, that won't be able to come in. And when that happens, all right, they're going to have a claim. They're going to be like, whoa, 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 hey, hey, hey. They will claim to have a relationship with the owner, but in reality, they don't. They're only familiar with the owner. The owner is going to look at them, God, is going to look at them as strangers. Last Saturday, right, I, uh, Mike, um, Pastor Mike, in, in our, he does our young adult here, uh, he was um, interviewing a music guy uh, for, uh, for our Northwood campus. And, um, and so one of the things he wanted to do is he wanted to bring him to the Tiffin campus, show him around, show him Tiffin. And, uh, and so I jumped in, I was with him. And I don't know about you, but you know, maybe, some, probably some of you guys are like this. I run out of things to talk about when, when I'm with somebody that I don't know. Anybody like that? Okay, like six. You guys are great people, people, people persons. I don't know how you say that, all right? You guys are good. Um, but I run out of stuff. Like, I'm like, um, you know, I ask them all the basics, and then after that, I'm like, I'm like out of stuff. But uh, so we drove all the way here, you know, it's like 25 minutes, and I'm struggling for stuff. And then we showed them around the, the church here, and I'm showing them, you know, we're giving them a tour and stuff. And I, I could find some stuff to talk about that because I could talk about the building and what it was, you know, and all that type of stuff. But then we, then we go to Chipotle, and we're eating, and I'm like, I'm out of stuff to talk about. And then we have to drive back, and I'm like, I'm out, you know. Um, and, uh, and, it's, it, and at the end, okay, we've talked enough, even though I'm not good at that. We've talked enough where I'm, like, familiar with him. You know what I mean? Like, I know him a little bit. I know, like, his goals or what he says his goals are. You know, I know, um, I know what he's done in the past. I know his past jobs. I know where he lives. He lives in Virginia. Um, I, know, uh, I know he's got a fiance. I know when he's, he's going to get married in a couple weeks. I know all this stuff about him. 
but I don't like know him. Now, if I were to go today, this afternoon, I would drive down to Virginia and show up on his doorstep with my bags and be like, hey, can I move in? You know, we, we, we met each other once. What's he going to say? No, get out of here, you freak, you know? <laughs> oh, who knows what he would say? He'd be weirded out, creeped out, I'm sure, right? I'm familiar with him, but me and him, we don't have a relationship, okay? Like, like I, don't, I don't know him, I don't know him good enough, and, and so I wouldn't be able to move in with him. That is really the scenario that Jesus is painting for these people. He's like, it's like that. He's got a guy, he's got his house, he, the door is narrow, not many people can come in, and everybody wants in, but only the people that have a relationship with him get in. But these people, Jesus says, they don't give up. Like, once the owner's like, nah, so, um, I forget what his name was, actually. Shoot. Nick? No, that was a, that's a tech guy. Never mind. I forget. Anyway, let's call him Brad. It may have been Brad, actually. I don't know. But let's say, let's say his name's Brad, and I go up, and I'm like, uh, you know, hey, hey, can I, can I, and he's, he's like, he's like, no, you can't move in. You know, I would, I would push back, and that's what Jesus, that's what these people do, do next. They, they push back, and this is what they say. They say, whoa, 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 we ate and drank in your presence. That's what I would say. We ate at Chipotle together. You don't remember this? And you taught in our streets. These people are like, you know, they're saying, hey, we're familiar with you. Like, we were together a few times. We listened to your teaching. We went to church every Sunday. We listened to your teaching. We heard what you had to say. See, they're familiar with Jesus, but they don't know him. They know of him. They know about him. But they don't know him. This is what the majority of church attenders in our community, really in our country, you know, this, this is the majority of church attenders in our country. This is, this is how they are. I talk to people all the time who know a little bit about Jesus. They've heard of Jesus, they've gone to church, they've done all this stuff. They like the idea of Jesus. They, you know, they're like, yeah, you know, Jesus is my savior. I like that, you know, I'm into that. And they, they believe that Jesus existed. But when you dig down deep, there's no relationship there. Like they don't know him. They know about him. They're familiar with him, but they don't know him, meaning they've never truly invited Jesus into their life and they're still doing, they're still doing life on their own. They're like these people trying to get into this house. See, we think being familiar with Jesus is good enough and Jesus right here, he's saying, no, it's, it's not. It's not. This is how God or the homeowner replies, he really reiterates what he's already said. He says, but he will say, he say, I tell you, I'm repeating myself. I don't know you or where you're from. So get away from me, all you evildoers. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth in that place. Because Jesus is talking about both heaven and hell. Doesn't that freak you out a little bit? Doesn't it? Freaks me out. Right, it makes me question myself. I mean, here's the God of the universe, and he's just like, hey, there's heaven and hell. All right, there's two places after you die. You go to one or the other, and they are real, and many are going to try to get into heaven. Okay, we understand that. Of course we understand that. But he's like, but many will get turned away. And many will think they're in because they're familiar with Jesus. But that relationship for a lot of those people actually doesn't exist. 
See, that freaks me out that there are a bunch of people that they think that they're going to heaven, but they'll die thinking that, and they'll, um, they'll, then they'll be surprised when they don't get in. They'll spend eternity in hell is what the Bible tells us. And so as they're walking along the road, and this guy, you know, or, or lady, this person is just like, you know, is it just like us? And Jesus turns to him, he tells him the story. Basically, he's saying, hey, yeah, some of you are even in. Should make us question ourselves a little bit. And I think it's good for us to question ourselves a little bit, just to make sure, like, okay, am I 100% or am I just like 90%? Am I 100% that I've made this, that decision? It's actually very similar to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7. We actually looked at this last November. And this is how it goes, just, just to refresh it. He says, uh, this is a different scenario. Remember, this is the Sermon on the Mount. This is where Jesus is, there's a huge crowd, way bigger than this other scenario in Luke that we're looking at. Huge crowd, and they're all wanting to hear Jesus. And Jesus, what's he do? He walks up on top of a grassy hill. He sits down in the grass and just begins to teach. This is one thing that he says. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, Okay, Lord, Lord, meaning this is like emotional uh, connection with Jesus. An emotional connection is respect, okay? They recognize that Jesus is God. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, or recognizes that I'm God will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the ones who do the will of my Father in heaven. Okay, well, what the heck is that? Well, that's starting our relationship with, with, uh, with Jesus, right? That's asking him into our life. That's surrendering ourselves over to him. He says, on that day, meaning judgment day, here we got this word again, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we drive out demons in your name and do many miracles in your name? Then I'll have to announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. Leave me, you lawbreakers. See, these people, they believe in God, they recognize Jesus as God. They're saying, Lord, Lord, they, they, they totally get that. They believe that he exists and they do a bunch of good stuff. I mean, these are like really, really good people. They got impressive resumes, maybe better resumes than what any of us have. You know, they're like, hey, we prophesied, we drove out demons, we did miracles, stuff that none of us have ever done. You know, they're like, we did all this. He's, he's taking it to the extreme. And, and God still says that he never knew them because it's not about doing a bunch of good stuff. It's about having a relationship. And to these people, this is a complete surprise. They're just like, well, what? Lord, Lord, we went to church every week. Or Lord, Lord, we went on mission trips. Or Lord, Lord, we gave to the church. We served in the church. Or Lord, Lord, I was, a, you know, I was just, all my life, I was just a really, really, really nice person. Like I loved everybody, or at least I tried to love everybody. Or, or Lord, Lord, I was baptized. Or Lord, Lord, I used to pray to you all the time. Or I prayed to you every day. Or Lord, Lord, I read your, your Bible and I listened to your teaching. Or Lord, Lord, I was an above average religious person. Check this list out. I got all this stuff that I've done. All right, look at my resume. I know so much about you. But it's not about knowing God. Or, no, that is right. <laughs> it's not about knowing about God. It's about knowing God. See, having a good resume doesn't get you into heaven. It's a relationship. Right? What we do is, and this is what other churches in our community teach, is that we tend to add Jesus to our resume. 
Right? Like he's just like a point there. It's like, yeah, I trust in Jesus and I was baptized. I trust in Jesus and, and my communion, or I trust in Jesus and my church attendance, or I trust in Jesus and I'm just an all-around, general, good person. Like, you can, ask, you can ask anybody. See, it's not Jesus and. It's only Jesus. That's the main difference that I would argue is between us and the Catholic Church. Is for them, it's Jesus and this. And we're saying, no, no, that's the one that the Bible teaches. The Bible says it's just Jesus. That's what Jesus is teaching here. And the only way to get to heaven is making a conscious decision to invite Jesus into our life. That's when our relationship with God starts. It just doesn't happen. All right, it's not where, hey, well, I've always believed. It doesn't matter what you believe. It's you have to make a conscious decision to invite him into our life. And that's when our relationship with God starts. See, it's interesting A lot of us, I don't think we, um, you know, of course there's atheists out, you know, we naturally tend to think to like people who just reject God completely. And of course there's those people out there, but there's other groups of people. I think a lot of people, they're good people and they like the idea of God and sure they believe in God and that's all cool. They heard of Jesus, they like Jesus, whatever. But they just put it off. Like, ah, deal with it when I'm older. I'm just not ready. I'll, I'll deal with it later. They just keep putting it off and putting it off, putting it off. It's not, like, it's not like they're against God necessarily. It's just they keep putting that decision off. Or maybe a lot of people are like what Jesus is describing here. And it's like we trick ourselves and, and we, we fool ourselves into thinking we're all good. Because look at all our good stuff. Look at our impressive resume. Look at all the stuff that I've done. But Jesus makes us clear that people who fall into those categories, they, it sounds harsh, but they go to hell. And it's real. Well, why is he talking about hell? It's kind of harsh to these. Uh, well, why is Jesus, well, why is he talking about this type of stuff? I would argue that he is talking about this and he talks about hell so much when he was here is because of his love for us. It's because he doesn't want us to go. And he's warning us of the truth. Why does there even have to be a hell? Why does it have to be a hell? Because God is perfectly just. It makes sense why a hell has to, has to exist because God is perfectly just. And so we do anything wrong, and we've all done millions of things wrong, more wrong than we could ever you know, imagine or count or even think of. All right? If we do one thing wrong against the infinite, holy, perfect God, true justice is for us to be separated from that infinite, holy, eternal God for eternity. And that's what hell is. So hell has to exist or some punishment. If you do something wrong, it has to be paid for. And, uh, and that's really the good news of the gospel is that God came down and born in the dirt as a man, lived a perfect life, and he paid for everything that we've ever done wrong. He poured out his wrath on himself. And in that moment, he really satisfied two things. Number one, he satisfied his justice and wrath. We don't like to talk about the wrath of God much because that has to do with us. He satisfied that, but he also satisfied his immense love that we can never understand that he has for us. Well, his love, how could, how could a loving God send people to hell? I mean, I mean, actually, that's not the question we ask, right? It's we understand why some people go to hell. We think of like Hitler and like those terrible, terrible people in history. Like, okay, that makes sense. Our question is, how could a loving God send good people to hell? 
See, the problem with that question is the premise of the question is, is us thinking that, that we are good. The Bible says, no, nah, actually, none of us are good. Even the best things that we've done, the Bible says that God views, like, even our best good things, the, God looks down at us and he views them as filthy, disgusting, dirty rags. That's how they are to God. Because he's so good. We don't understand what good is. See, just because great Aunt Mary was a good person doesn't mean she's going to heaven. Well, great, you know, good, great Aunt Mary, she was the nicest lady. She paid her taxes. She was, a, she was a good citizen. She baked cookies. She never hurt anybody. She always remembered my birthday. Are you telling me that God would send my elderly great Aunt Mary to a place called hell? Well, the problem with that is we are looking at that from from, uh, from our perspective, and our perspective is, number one, sinful and always wrong, okay? We got to view it from God's perspective. And it might go something kind of like this. When Aunt Mary was, was really little, you know, she went to church. Maybe she didn't even go to church a lot, but she went on, uh, on Easter and Christmases. You know, we call those Christers, okay? The Christer, the Christer, the Christmas and Easter people. And so she would go there. But when she would go, even though she didn't go much, she would hear about this guy named Jesus who died for her. And she would hear about this God who loves her. And in her ear, God would whisper something like, hey, I want that relationship with you. I want you. I designed you to have a relationship with me. But in her heart, she would make some sort of decision and be like, well, no, no, I'm not ready yet. I'll, I'll deal with that when I'm older. And then later on in life, she would look at a sunset, or maybe she'd go on vacation, and she'd look at the ocean or the mountains, or, or maybe she'd look up at the stars, or look at a, something as simple as a tree. She'd look at God's creation, and through God's creation, God would whisper, I'm real. I'm, I exist. I'm here, and I designed you specifically to have a relationship with me. I want that relationship. But in her heart, Aunt Mary would say, no, I'm just not. I'm just not there. Life's good right now. Everything's, everything's fine. I'm not, I'm not, I, don't, I don't want you right now, God. Well, then once in a while, even though Aunt Mary was a super good person, all right, better than any of us, right, she would do something wrong. And in her heart, God would convict her. And through his conviction, God would whisper something like, hey, I want that you could be forgiven. All you have to do is have a relationship with me. You don't have to have this guilt. You don't have to carry this around. But then Mary would make a decision in her heart that would be something like, you know, well, you know, they've already forgiven me and our relationship's going back. I'm good. I don't need your forgiveness right now, God. And then as Aunt Mary grew older, she would start attending more and more funerals. Her friends would end up dying. You know, friends and family would get older and they would struggle with health and, and end up dying. And as she attended the funerals, she would be really hit in the face with her own mortality. And in her ear, God would whisper something like, hey, you know, you're, gonna, you're not going to skip death. Where are you going to end up? I can have this relationship with you. I desperately want this relationship with you. You've been ignoring me your whole life. But in her heart, she would say something like, it's all good. I don't need this right now. No thanks right now, God. See, in the end, God will give what she decided, she will give her what she decided her entire life. To be left alone from God. That's what hell is. So yeah, all people don't go to a better place. See, Jesus says, many will not be going. 
not even those familiar with Jesus, only those who, invited, who have invited Jesus into their life and have made a decision in their mind to do that. And that happens really in a moment. It happens in a moment. I mean, the Bible describes that. It's like, yeah, before we were in darkness, but now we're, now we're in light. And, and before we were, we were lost, but now we're found. Before we were dead, but then we're alive. I mean, there's a moment in our life where we, if we've done that, where we, where we you know, where that has happened to us. We've switched our eternity. We've switched our destination where it's, we were all going to hell, but then some moment we make a decision to follow Jesus and, and to give Jesus our life. And then we, we, God switches it over to, to heaven. See, that's the problem with thinking whenever we, you know, whenever we have any of our loved ones, I think a lot of us, we understand, well, yeah, I get it. Some people go to hell, but nobody that I know will go to hell. See, I'm not exempt from this either. I had four grandparents. One of them, uh, three of them were strong Christians. One of them was a pastor, but, but another one of them didn't know God, knew about God, knew of God. He refused, my grandpa, he refused to give his, his life over to God. I remember, um, you know, even with faced with the reality of hell, he'd say stuff like, well, you know, I get to hang out with my Navy buddies that I haven't seen for so long in hell. And, you know, that'll, you know, that, that'll be a good thing. I, I'd rather go there. You know, a few years ago, he died. And, and I cannot say he's in heaven. And I won't say that. Because I'm not going to throw up truth out the window based on what my emotions and how I feel. Do I have hope? Of course I have hope. Because I don't know what he was thinking on his deathbed. I knew he knew the truth. I knew he had heard the truth. And yeah, maybe he could have done that. Maybe he could have made that decision in his life. But can I honestly say that he's in heaven? No way. Actually, it's probably better for me. You know, it's probably more truthful for me to say he's probably not there. See, this is why the most important thing is for us to be pushing others to make that decision about Jesus. Now, me recognizing that, does that make me a non-loving grandson? No. But I will not throw truth out the window. The most important thing is for us to push others to make that decision about Jesus, to tell others about what Jesus has done for them, the cost that he, that he took. See, Jesus, he didn't teach us truth about heaven and hell for us to just ignore it because it makes us uncomfortable. He teaches us about heaven and hell, number one, to warn us, but to also give us urgency in our mission. And so for today, I never do this. I'm not really into this, but I'm going to give you guys some homework. Right? Some of you guys haven't had homework for a long, long time. It's time you get some homework, okay? And that's this. Number one, I want all of us, we're a church family. All right, we're a family. We're a new family. We're a family. But I want all of us individually to do what Jesus said and to make sure you're among them that go to heaven. Make sure you're among them. Do whatever we've got to do. If you haven't, like, examine yourself, man. Like, like, really look at your heart and think in your mind, like, when was it that I made that decision? And, and yeah, I believed in God for a long time. And, yeah, I've been, I've been doing good and I want to follow God, sure. But when did I make that decision? When was I, was I dead and then I became alive? And if you can't think of that moment in your life, I'll just tell you, you probably haven't made that decision. You're one of these people that Jesus is talking about, one of those people that you think you're in, you think you're good, you're familiar with God, but you're not. 
And I encourage you, make that decision today. Spend five, spend some time with God this afternoon. Go on a walk, do whatever you gotta do. And based off knowing that Jesus came down and died for you, died for everything that you've ever done wrong, so you don't have to pay for everything you've ever done wrong. And based upon that and believing that, ask God to come into your life. Ask him to be a part of your life. If you haven't done that, do that today. That's one thing. The second thing is it boggles my mind when I talk to people that they don't know where their closest loved ones are with God. I talk to people all the time where I'm like, you know, well, so where are your kids at? You know, your kids, they believe, well, I, I don't know. We don't really talk about that. Talk about God is kind of weird. It's your kids. We don't take this, we don't take hell seriously. That's what Jesus was trying to communicate with us. Man, so my, my homework for you, what I ask you guys to do is to go home and ask those that you care about about their story. Ask them when they made that decision. When was that moment in their life? And if they can't think of something or they say something like, you know, well, I've always believed, you know, it's, then they haven't done that. They're one of these people too that Jesus is talking about. I mean, talk to your spouse, your kids, your grandkids, your mom and dad, your best friends. It's so important. And if it's like, wow, there's just, that's just too many. And I want to, then let me give you a goal. Talk to three of them this week. Three people that you care about. And even if you think you know when they made that decision, ask them again. Just to check up on them because it's the most important thing that they could ever do in their entire life. Because the last thing that you want to do, and I know because I've sat there, is to sit at their funeral wondering. I don't know. Don't do that. Let's pray. God, we, um, we thank you for teaching us about hell, that it's real. And it's not a place where we want to go, Lord. And we don't have to go there. You've given us such a, like, that's what we deserve. We deserve hell. That's the right thing for you to do is to send us there. But you punished yourself instead of us. And all we have to do is give our life over to you. Invite you into our life. God, I ask that if there's anybody here, and I know there's people in this room who haven't done that yet. Lord, I ask that they would give their, we ask that they would give their life over to you today. Lord, I also ask that we would really check up on our family and friends. Those people that live in the same house as us, our kids. Help us have those awkward, difficult, uh, somewhat weird conversations with them. But God, it's so, so, so important. God, we thank you for everything that you've given us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.